Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I'm your host, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on TalkingChop.com, where you can have found me for the better part of five seasons now, writing about the minor leagues. Over the last couple of seasons, I've taken over the mantle of the deputy site manager position under our fearless leader, Chris Willis, who's been managing there for, I guess, he's six or seven years now. I'm just kind of thinking about it out loud. Uh, this is part two of a, of a recording session that uh, myself, as well as Matt Powers, started so if you were wanting to make sure that you want to figure out what we had our thoughts on the newsworthy items regarding the minor leagues make sure you look at the previous episode where you can hear matt and i talk about you know minor league contraction the minor league pay getting extended the cuts that have happened kind of a lot of the changes that have been going on in the general minor leagues and our thoughts on the 2020 minor league season and whether or not we're going to it's going to happen make sure you listen to that podcast now, as for my co-host, one Matt Powers, you can follow him on Twitter at MattPowers31. Uh, and while you're at it, you can follow myself at Leprechaun with a K there. Uh, Matt is our kind of resident draft guru as well as minor league analyst over at Talking Shop. So first of all, Matt, how are you, my friend? You doing okay still? Yeah, yeah, still doing okay. Just excited that the draft is finally here despite such an odd, odd year. I mean, right now... I should be getting ready to start watching the tournament, the college tournament, the 64 teams, but obviously that's not happening this year. So it's it's definitely changed a lot. A lot less looks, a lot less talk, a lot less certainty in this year's draft as compared to ever before, but it's still a draft. Yeah, so I, the the trick with getting Matt to do almost anything is if I have to kind of spin it, as draft related because the reason why Matt is a writer at Talking Chop is because of his fervent interest in the draft. Uh, I it was a few years ago and I remember I was kind of preoccupied during draft day and I was 
seeing there's a bunch of comments and I'm, I try to answer stuff when I can. Uh, I've kind of gone away from that because honestly, some of the comments we get are just absolutely ridiculous. But I, I try my best to be responsive or at least I know what's going on in the part, comments section. And people were asking questions about particular players and things like that. And I happened to look down and I see that the same guys like answering people's questions on a lot of different threads. And like it was great information, and I didn't feel like I needed to intervene. Like I was like, "Well, wait, what are you doing? Um, you know, can you kind of kindly, you know, stop spreading information? It's not necessarily true. Uh, it's it was really well informed, and that's actually the story of how I found Matt. Is that I saw him in the comment section being like super informative, and I said, "Hey, you, uh, you need to be doing this on a more official basis in terms of writing. You're doing all the work already, anyway." And that's how Matt started, and you know he's been stuck with us ever since. And you know maybe he regrets that decision. I don't know, but uh, so this was the, the you know getting him to do part one of this podcast was really about him getting to do this part of the podcast, which is going to be talking about the draft. Uh, and I'm just going to be picking his brain on a lot of different things and kind of what his thoughts are. Uh, that's what all this podcast is going to be. It's all draft preview content. Um, so for those who aren't aware, there were some changes. But kind of before I get into kind of picking Braves, you know, Matt's brain about the kind of what's going on with this draft class and what the Braves could be doing, there are some basic things that you need to know. First is that the Braves are going to be picking the 25th pick in the first round of the draft, and they are going to be picking in that same spot for rounds three through five. This is important because there are only five rounds this year as opposed to 40 in previous years. This was shortened because of the agreement between the Players Association and Major League Baseball, they were allowed, Major League Baseball was allowed to decrease the draft to as little as five rounds, and they went to that minimum, um, which makes the signing of Marcel Ozuna particularly painful because that means that they lose a draft pick that they would have had in the second round, and they end up losing a significant portion of their overall draft picks percentage-wise, uh, which in other years it wouldn't have been nearly as painful. I don't know if that necessarily means they would have uh, not chosen to make that same those same deals for Will Smith and Ozuna, but right now it kind of stings more often than usual. Um, the Braves would have normally gotten a comp pick for losing Josh Donaldson to free agency, but again, they, they signed both Marcelo Ozuna and Will Smith, who both had qualifying offers attached to their free agent candidacies, which means that they both were guys that were going to cost them draft picks, so it sort of canceled things out. So overall, they have a third. The Braves have a first, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. That is all they have this year. They have four picks. Uh, it's kind of like an NBA draft now, which is kind of a bizarre thing to kind of think about. So first things first, Matt, in terms of how players are get, how teams are getting information about players, considering that there's been very little baseball for them to actually watch uh, at the college or high school level, how are teams getting information? Are they, are, are they allowed to have private workouts? Are they allowed to, what kind of sorts of private information are they allowed to get? on these kids and how are they preparing for this right now? So there are now private workouts in a normal year. What you'd be seeing is these kids getting flown out to the teams. A lot of it under the radar to most of us and they'd be getting a good look, at least running through drills, taking some batting practice, throwing around uh, or two in the bullpen and teams will get a look at them that way, get a chance to actually meet with them. But obviously you don't have that whatsoever this year, in addition to the fact that there's no games. So all these guys that have popped up in that spring in recent years that have gone high, I mean, one of the top 
maybe the top pitching prospect in the game right now is Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore was complete unknown his draft year as a senior in high school up until that spring. And then he broke out that spring and became a top five pick. Didn't even make it to the Braves at number five. So you're missing out on a lot. There's a lot less information. I mean, a lot of the cold weather states, high school-wise, in the north, they didn't even get to start their season. A lot of the cold weather, warm weather states, I should say, barely got their season started. Colleges, they all got their season started, but for the most part, they didn't play anybody other than those few schools that happened to play against a couple big opponents. And even with them, you're looking at 15 game samples or so. So you basically have nothing from this spring. I mean, at least nothing you can actually make a judgment on. It's just small sample size all across the board for everybody. So anything that you're taking off of this spring, it's really just you're hoping that it's really there and it wasn't just a 15-game fluke. So it's definitely one of those weird years. and You can't feel nearly as comfortable with any of these players, really other than the top few guys who are already looked at heavily way before this year. I mean, there's Spencer Torkelson and Emerson Hancock, those guys. You already have to have that level of confidence. But beyond those guys up at the top, you have to have more doubt in your mind about a guy that you're going to take in the first round than you've probably had in the last 10 to 15 years, at least since they've caught up with this type of level of pre-draft scouting. So that lack of information is brings me to my next question because whenever this was these changes were first announced and that the ref was going to five rounds, my initial thought was, wow, well, this obviously means that there's going to be, and I wrote about this, is that there's going to be a lot more college players drafted than there would normally on a percentage basis. Now, there's going to be a lot of college guys that get drafted anyway um, for, you know, like signability reasons in rounds like six through ten, and then you have, you know, those guys – especially college bats that perform. But overall, you still see a throughout an entire draft class for a team, uh, still a lot of high school guys. A lot of those guys were never going to sign. Some of them, they're kind of signing based on flyers, and you know, then there's over-slot contracts and all that other stuff. But this year, it felt like, especially to begin with, that in order, since you only get five picks at max, you, you only get so many picks, you only get those five rounds to make, make whatever hay you're going to make. And... You, as a result, might be more risk averse than you would normally be. That you're going to be picking more guys that you have track record and information on, and that means that kind of points to the idea of college players as being kind of a more desirable demographic in this particular draft. So, when it's after these five rounds are done, and we have all these players picked, what do you, what percentage do you think? is going to be of high school players? And do you think we're going to see any high school players picked past, like, do we see very many players, high school players picked past the second round? I'm going to guess 70% are probably going to be college guys. At least 65% is what I'd go with, probably closer to 70% being college guys. 
I think it's not even necessarily the certainty. But if you think about the high school players that sign, they're not signing for basically nothing. They're wanting to sign for overslot. It's hard to overslot without much ability to play around with your draft pools in rounds, really, 1 through 10. Because you really only have four picks other than that guy that you're trying to get over slot later. So, I mean, I'm just going to use this guy as an example. But Drew Bowser uh, listed him as the number 11 shortstop today. Uh, Very good prospect out of a very, very prestigious school out in Southern California. And he's probably going to be a third baseman long term. Really promising hitter. But a kid like that in a normal year, he'd be a tough signing because not only is he at a good academic high school, he's heading to Stanford where his mother actually graduated from. So a kid like that, how are you going to make room to sign? I mean, he's not top 50 pick worthy, but he's definitely a guy you really like your team to end up with at some point in the normal draft. How are you going to make the space to sign a kid like that? Now, that's just one example, but look at all these kids that are going to SEC schools or schools like Stanford or Georgia Tech or Duke or North Carolina, Virginia, all those schools. It's going to be very complicated to get someone like that signed after the first two rounds. So this brings me to it. I've been kind of thinking through this thought for this whole thing the entire the entire way a lot as because the Braves have been kind of a team that has more recently been indicated as a team that is likely to try to go high school or heavily high school, which I thought was fascinating because again, for a team that ha- is down a pick, well actually down two picks if you kind of are just kind of speaking about you know formerly where they were their picks and now they're gone, they only have four picks in the draft that they would be even more risk averse, but it seems like instead they could be taking advantage of a demographic that might be under undervalued, and they might be able to get some higher quality in terms of talent. Uh, We don't know if that's going to happen, but what I think is fascinating about this particular draft is, and can you mute your mic, Um, is about this particular draft is that there, how do I put it? There's a real chance that the decisions that are being made right now are going to be more unique than simply just am I going to honor my Vanderbilt commitment or my Tennessee commitment or my Rice commitment or my Virginia commitment or am I going to play professionally? But I what I could because what I could see happening is that there's this class of of high school players that very often gets picked whether they slightly over slot signing being on day two, you know the guys who end up get signing for like nine hundred thousand dollars when their slot is like six hundred thousand. Um, or the day three guys where you're, you know, an 11th round pick and you're a high school guy, but it's really just to kind of get that little buffer that you would normally get on those, those day three bonuses that doesn't count against your bonus pool. When in reality, you were kind of a, a third or fourth round talent and the team just wanted to save a little bit of money by signing you then in that spot. There's an entire class of those high school players that I honestly are thinking really hard now because they don't want to deal with the undrafted free agent, you know, part of the things where they have to, you know, they weren't picked and they're only allowed to get, the teams are only allowed to give them $20,000 to sign 
I don't think any player who's any good is going to sign that coming out of high school unless they're just desperate to play for a certain organization. So I think we're going to probably see next year one of the best junior college draft classes we've ever seen. Because if you now what? Because if you go to if you go to a four year school, you have to play there for two years before, unless you're a draft eligible sophomore, which is rules that are not interesting right now. The point is, is that if you go to a junior college and you're there for a year, you can re-enter the draft class, which is exactly what Carter Stewart did, and which is a former Braves pick who didn't sign. Um, for those who aren't aware. So I think what's fascinating is kind of not only what's going to happen in this year's draft in terms of who signs and for how much and how a lot of these things play out in terms of those first five round picks, uh, are, you know, players going to be particularly playing particular high ball, hard ball considering that teams can't just pivot to other players super easily, that they might be more locked into their choice than normal. Um, how, what kinds of players are going to be signing deals as undrafted free agents and what is the impact of the format of this particular draft going to happen, uh, have on future draft classes? Cause we could see some really loaded, a really loaded draft class next season. If for no other reason, it's going to be very deep from guys who didn't want to deal with the, the, this particular draft. But that's, again, that's a lot of kind of super hypothetical sort of stuff. Um, and I kind of want to talk a little bit, some specifics about kind of this particular draft and what Matt's thoughts are about it. So, Matt, if you're forced right now to say what is the strength of this draft and what is the weakness of this draft in terms of the draft class overall, what would you say? The biggest strength of this class is easily pitching. Definitely pitching without a doubt. And particular, the college pitching. Although I happen to really like a bunch of the high school arms too. Maybe not a ton as true first round guys, but there's a lot of high school arms that I would love to be drafting at some point, assuming I'm able to sign them. Another real strength that's probably the second biggest strength of this class is this might be the best top to bottom catcher class I've ever seen. I mean, there's no Adley Rutschman, there's no Joey Bart at the top, but this catcher class top to bottom is just extraordinarily deep and talented. I count 17 guys that I'd be willing to draft this year, assuming that they're all willing to sign. But that's just in the five-round draft, not just 17 that you could take to last year's number, but 17 guys that I'd spend a pick in the first five rounds on easily, without any doubt. But that's where the biggest strengths of this class are. Biggest weakness has to be shortstop. And where I said this might be the best catcher draft I've ever seen and one of the strongest, if not the strongest, pitcher draft, it's got to be the worst shortstop draft I've ever seen. There is no true top shortstop this year. I mean, Ed Howard is the top shortstop, and he's a first-round talent, but he's not a legitimate top 10 type of player. And that's rare that you don't see a true shortstop as a top 10 player. I mean, if you really looking at it and you want to make Nick Gonzalez a shortstop because he has played there some in college, he actually spent most of this spring there before things got shut down. But to project Nick Gonzalez at shortstop, I just can't actually see that defensively. So shortstop is by far the biggest weakness of this class. 
So I do want to pivot a little bit because what you're saying tends to be bear out in just looking at rankings. For example, if you look at Fangraphs rankings, you're going to see a lot more catchers that you would normally see sprinkled in. You see a lot of pitching, particularly college uh, college arms in the middle to the later round parts of the first round. Uh, a lot of depth there. Um, and you have, again, kind of what Matt was saying, just these are just Fangraphs rankings, but you have Ed Howard – Who's a prep shortstop, which is, you know, a riskier demographic than just a college one, uh, is ranked at number 11 and he might end up going lower than that just because of between like, you know, a shoulder issue and, or a shoulder pre- issue previously combined with just being a prep bat. Uh, after that, unless you're, unless you think that Nick Gonzalez is a shortstop, you don't see another shortstop projected to go until like that 32, 33 range with that Jordan Westberg, Nick Lofton group and those, between those two guys, there's not a lot of ceiling there. So I'm pretty interested to kind of see how the teams that typically take up the middle talent, maybe they look at the center field class, which in terms of the the bats that can play center field at the high school, college level, there's definitely some interesting names there. Um, you know, at the top you have the you know the Zach Veens and Austin Martins of the world, and then you have you know further down uh, the guy who I really like and I kind of hope that the Braves can get is uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. Who kind of has a really interesting tool set, uh, but you know, the, I wonder if the teams that normally like to get those up the middle bats, but maybe would prefer an infielder, maybe they pivot to something like that to, to players like that. Uh, I tend to agree with Matt. Um, I do think that the I'm not I'm not as sold on the high school pitching as he is in this class. I think there's a lot of uncertainty on a number of levels, not just that they haven't played that they didn't get to play baseball and show me that they they deserve that sort of pick. But I also think that there's just the, the I'm not as enamored with those players in general, um, for the, for individual reasons, and I think that the college arms are just better. Uh, so, and I think that's the, the straightaway the strength of this draft class, and I do think that there's I mean it's kind of surprising how good the catching class is. I'm curious to kind of want to be able to look back at this one in a few years and kind of see how many of these catchers actually pan out because that just that's just there's a lot of attrition and a lot of weirdness that happens developmentally in terms of catching. But um, but but if you want a lefty, if you want a righty, righties are particularly strong in this draft. But in terms of, I, I also really like Reed Detmers from uh from Louisville. If you're really looking for a lefty in the top ten or so, so overall, I tend to agree with Matt. You know, it's it's college pitching that I think has is both the best talent as well as the deepest overall. Uh, I'd be very tempted to take AC Lacy, uh, Asa Lacy number one overall. But you know, I've also seen Spencer Torkelson hit, and I particularly I, I do understand the uh. <laughs> the desire to kind of put that guy in your system and see what kind of damage he can do because he's gonna he's gonna make it to the major leagues very very quickly now you know beyond the how good he is was is you know kind of an open question but he's definitely gonna be able to hit. Um, so we talked a little bit about the draft class as a whole and when we get back we're going to talk specifically about the Braves what we think they're going to do and what we hope that they're going to do after a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, and we're back to kind of talk more specifically about Braves-related stuff in terms of what we think is going to happen with the draft and what the Braves are going to do. Again, I mentioned this earlier, the Braves have kind of been rumored as a team that's going to be taking more high school talent or going all high school even, as one as one person said, as I saw. One, do you think that's going to happen? And two, what is the wisdom in doing in in doing that sort of plan in this draft? I do think that you're going to see a bunch of high school players in the Braves draft. If the Braves don't draft two high school players, I'd be surprised. I think the Braves probably draft three high school players in total, but I can't see them going four, which is all of their picks as high school players. I think that top pick just the way everything points, I'm pretty confident it's going to be a college pitcher just based on names I've heard and names I've heard with teams around them and how the board sets up. It looks like they're going to have their pick of a couple of college pitchers. I mean, something could happen and somebody could fall, which is always the possibility, especially in a draft featuring so many uncertainties for everybody. But it, it feels like a college pitcher with the top pick. From there, I think they could start looking upside kind of like how they did last year. But at the same time, it's hard to say that there isn't going to be a college guy sitting there that they're not going to be able to pass up just because that's easily the best available player. And he happens to be signable at a fair rate. So... I also think you pretty much have to draft at least one college guy to make the bonuses work because drafting four high school guys is just not going to work, especially when you're talking about using picks in rounds, possibly three, four, and five, or one, two, three, that one, three, four, and five on high school guys just because they're going to need some overslot later in the draft unless they're just desperate to go pro just because they don't want to go to school. See, I I tend to agree that there's going to be a certain amount of high school, just because there's too much smoke around the idea that the Braves are going to be a team that's going to be trying to grab high school players. Now, I don't know if that's a kind of a negotiation, maybe to get some other teams ahead of them to kind of go, maybe we need to be investing in high school players. And then they ultimately get one of the college players that they like to drop to them. Um, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting situation the Braves find themselves in because, as a general rule, you pick the best player available, and you know whether it's high school or college. Um, there's some mild, there's some there's certainly some signability issues with some of these players that you have to kind of consider. Uh, for example, the two prep bats that you'd kind of hope would fall to you at 25 would be Robert Hassel and Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, for sure. And both those guys have Vanderbilt commitments that you'd have to buy them out of. You probably can afford it. But that does kind of lead to Matt's point that you might need to find some find some slot money elsewhere, and it's much trickier to do when you only have four picks versus having you know an entire slew of picks where you can you know just do a bunch of senior signs on the end of your day two picks and then save a bunch of money that way. Um, same thing with like some of the I mean, I get I don't foresee the Braves taking a catcher that falls. They just made a, a catcher a top ten pick last year. I don't think they want to necessarily add unless they're really in love with the bat. I don't think that like a Tyler Soderstrom or something like that would be something that would really intrigue them. 
in that much. It would the, the value would just have to be so crazy high. So I understand where Matt's saying in that the most likely demographic of people to fall talent wise would either would be an arm. And it's you know I, I do disagree in that the around that period of time I think they're gonna have their pick of high school or college arms. Uh, of guys that they could feasibly like. You have a guy like maybe you have a guy like Kate Cavalli or Bryce Jarvis. Uh maybe Slate Slate Chioni ends up being there. Um or if you have Nick Bitsko uh Nick Bitsko falling uh who seems to be a guy who is of varying interests or maybe a Jared Kelly uh who's another prep arm. If you're sitting there at 25 and those guys fall to you, I think that what happen who falls to you dictates your draft strategy because if it's a college if it's a high school kid who you may have to buy out of a commitment that maybe you kind of had to punt a little bit on your last pick in the draft when you kind of do someone where you can save some money or you can kind of go with a kind of go with a college pick and then you can kind of go for strength throughout the draft class um because you don't in the, in the Braves case they don't have a second round pick here to kind of try to float someone to you're it's too hard to float someone that far back in this draft even as weird as this draft is going to be um, there's guys that I like here and guys that I think that would be interesting that maybe quote unquote look like reaches, but maybe are interesting enough to the Braves that they would kind of pull the trigger on a bat that they would like would maybe be like a Casey Martin, uh, a Casey Martin from Arkansas. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the other, of the other shortstops from, uh, Westerberg and, uh, in, and Lofton. Uh, Aaron Sabato is interesting mainly because he has probably some of the most power in the draft class. Uh, and while the Braves all of a sudden find themselves with a, you know, some real first base prospects, you know, the, the, the damage that he can do, he'd be an interesting sort of player that I think would also do well in what the Braves are doing analytically in terms of valuing draft, draft prospects. Um, the, the, the numbers would bear out well on him. Whether or not they'd actually pull a trigger on him is a little bit different. Um, what are your thoughts on Freddie Zamora from Miami? I'm a little bit curious about that because I was actually surprised he was ranked this high. He's, a uh, very interesting case. I mean, Matt really was not there two years ago for him. It took a major jump last year, but then towards the end of last year, the bat slowed down a little bit. So there were some questions about the bat heading into this year for him. And then within a week period, he ends up getting suspended and then tearing up his knee. So he didn't get a chance to play this year, so he's got some injury questions and some character-related questions after that uh, violation of team rules suspension for an indefinite period of time, which we didn't actually publicly get to find out how long that was since he got hurt soon after. But there's plenty of questions with him, even though there's a lot of talent. I think there's enough raw talent in him that he's definitely a guy I like. I I just can't see using a first round pick on him. At least top thirty first round pick. Yeah, maybe it just makes more sense for him to be a top of the second round pick type. Uh, but the only reason I mention is because he does have a real a real skill set. And the thing about him is that in a weak shortstop class. That is a demographic that tend, tends to rise on draft day. It's those college bats that get picked a lot higher, which um, makes me really curious as to kind of what ends up being available for the Braves at 25. And if you are looking here for like, you know, who, 
like what players are the Braves really interested in. The ways in which generally interest is measured, other than you know just actual sources within the organization, is generally like interest at particular games. So you'll see like you know Alex Anthopoulos and you know high level scouts at particular players' games as to whether or not they're like have a certain level of interest in them and whether or not they think they're going to be available. Um, I this year's going to be a little bit more interesting in terms of who's going to be showing what what information is going to be put out there because ultimately the teams kind of have all the control in that regard because the only information that's going to be getting out is information that officials is, are willingly going to give up. So maybe there's a, a certain amount of gamesmanship in terms of who is being evaluated where and who can be floated down and who can be maybe overpicked a little bit and change how things are evaluated. But I don't know. It's 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 a weird draft class, and I want to see kind of where things go in terms of how the first round goes. Um, before we kind of wrap things up here, I I know that you have, and we've been. By the way, if you haven't been on Talking Chop uh, for obvious reasons that you guys haven't really been thinking about baseball right now, make sure you go to the site because we have a ton of preview, both pre, uh, articles regarding draft preview content regarding both the depth in the minor league system right now. As well as Matt has a series rolling right now, and he's going to be slowly finish, finishing it up over the next week and a half or so, about previewing each position of this draft class and kind of guys that he likes and doesn't like. Um, taking away first round picks, who who you kind of generally think is a first round pick? Who are some players that you would really like to see the Braves try to nab in those three, those third, fourth, and fifth rounds? Not not my guys are going to be second rounders, but like in those later rounds, kind of who would you like to see them grab? Well, I didn't even name any of the names that I'd want to see in the first round, so I'll actually start there. Um, with me, I'd love to see somebody fall. I Some of the names that I'd really be concentrating on with at least some chance to fall, Garrett Crochet, the lefty out of Tennessee, who's got some real issues with lack of a resume, but he's got maybe the best stuff in this class. The uh, prep pitcher that you talked about from Pennsylvania, Nick Bitsko. Uh, I wouldn't mind one of the other college arms like uh, Cole Wilcox or uh, Kate Cavalli falling to us at 25. I mean, those are definitely guys I would love to see. Uh, Pete Crown Armstrong is another guy that I would like to see. I'd be happy with Slade Chicone from Miami. I'd, I'd be okay with uh, Chris McMahon from Miami in the first round. Now, if you, I'm looking at my own personal list right now of my top 213 players, which I shortened this year just because, uh, we're not going to have a full draft. Uh, some of the names that I'd really like to see in the third round, I, I, he doesn't really have a chance to make it all the way down to almost pick 100, but Blaze Jordan is a guy I would love to sign, but I, I just can't see how he falls that far and is signable. Uh, so I'll, I'll skip over him, but I at least wanted to throw his name out there. I like Markavian Hentz. I think he is a pitcher with plenty of projection and stuff, current stuff already in there. There's just a lot to like with him, with his upside. He's probably one of the least talked about high upside prep pitchers coming out of Arkansas this year. Just a guy that I would love to have, and probably a guy, if it was up to me, I'd be comfortable taking him in the second round, although if you look 
at where most others have him. It's more in that third round. Uh, a guy like the Georgia Premier Academy shortstop, Harold Cole, who is a very promising defensive shortstop with a bat that has really made strides over the last year. He actually came from the state of Massachusetts over the fall. He didn't have a spring last year because uh, they didn't have enough kids on his Massachusetts high school team to field the team. And he really devoted himself to baseball in this last six to eight months or so that he's been down in Georgia. And the bat has made plenty of progress now that he's really been spending day and night working on the game. The defense and the arm have always been there. He's always been a shortstop, but the bat has really shown promise. He's a UNC commit, by the way, so it's not like he would come for nothing. Uh, a guy like a Yohandi Morales would be an interesting player. I list him at shortstop. He might end up being a third baseman. He, he could be a very solid defender at third with really promising power potential. Good bloodlines as well. A couple of the Canadian kids, um, Owen Casey, who really stood out with the Canadian junior national team this spring when they went down to play the big league clubs in Florida. He's an outfielder with potential for five tools, probably more of a four-tool guy. Those are some of the guys that I'd like to see us target in the third round. Um, I really do like a couple college outfielders in Tulane's Hudson Haskin and Alaric Solari from Tennessee as uh, probably more as a fourth rounder, along with maybe a USC third baseman Jamal Logan, uh, Florida State outfielder Elijah Cabell. Um, maybe we would look at a guy like uh, Central Michigan Xavier Warren, who could play shortstop, could be a catcher, some say he's more of a third baseman, could really play all over the field. Uh, Miami first baseman Alex Torrell with his uh, 75-80 grade raw power. Uh, Parker Chavers, the coastal Carolina outfielder who really looked like a potential top 50 pick after the Cape last year, missed this spring, hurt, was going to come back, but obviously the season got canceled and he's fallen down a little bit. Uh, former Braves draft pick Franco Elman, who ended up going the Juco route this year because he's transferring into Florida next year. He, he could be gone by the fourth round, but he's a guy I'd like to see us maybe take another shot at this year. I liked the pro, uh, the projection on him when he was coming out of high school, but he's definitely a guy that I would be looking at. If we're looking at um, bloodlines, Marquise Grissom Jr. is a very promising pitcher. He's a little raw. There's a lot to work with, though. Great athleticism, great genes, promising stuff. And it, you have to buy him out of his Georgia Tech commitment. But he's a guy that I'd be looking at. Mag Alcado, the South Carolina lefty pitcher who really stood out at the PBR event in February. I think that was February, if not late January. Uh, that's another guy that I'd really like to see. Uh, a couple other guys, uh, pitcher Josh Swales, who really had a breakout on the high school side. Uh, Tulane's Braden Oltoff, who really came in to Tulane this year 
out of junior college and just had a really strong year. Well, I shouldn't say a year. He had, I think, was it four starts, five starts, but really, really looked good in that short time that he actually had. But, yeah, those are some of the guys that I would really like to see taking a chance on. A guy who may not come with the highest price tag, but is at the same time not going to be cheap, high upside player. That's just the type of players that, if it was up to me to draft, the kind of guys that I'd draft, which coincidentally happened to be some of the guys the Braves drafted after her day one last year on the draft. Yep, and that's, it's a fun demographic to kind of speculate as to kind of what it would take to sign them, um, and especially when it seems like the restrictions and your options are more limited this year, kind of strategically how to best position yourself I do feel like it's going to pay more dividends than when it would over other teams this year than when others, because ultimately when you have 40 picks, you know, some, a lot of things sort of even out, but when you only have, you know, four to, you know, six or seven picks or whatever, it can get really fascinating in terms of kind of positioning yourself to go after certain guys, not being able to go after other guys. Um, one name that I did, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I didn't hear it, but I, but it's possible. I, I really do like Gage Workman. Uh, out of Arizona State as a third base prospect because I think that given that he is a power hitting third baseman and I think that he is a very talented player that there is a good chance that if he was given a chance to play more uh this year past year that he wouldn't be available uh however I think there's a realistic chance given the lack of track record in college for the moment and he's also a little bit of a younger college guy which I do kind of like as a, as a result um, but that lack of track record might mean that he might be able to be floated to that third round pick. I'm not 100% certain that that happens, but I'm cautiously optimistic and it'd be really neat if he was there. I don't think that he's really a candidate for the third round. I think to get him, we pretty much have to take him at 25 because I think he's a guy that really starts to come off the board probably in the 30 to 55 range. See, I'm not as sold about that just because I'm just – and again, I, I have no insight on what t- teams' thinkings are. But with the, given the depth of the, the, of the college pitching class and, like, the, the track records that exist in front of him, I mean, I'm looking at rankings right now. And, again, these are just the, the numbers that the, – the rankings I chose to pick. And these are our Fangraph rankings. This has them at 89 right now. And uh, in terms of just how how I'm thinking about this draft in terms of – the thing that teams are really trying to make sure that they're they're getting their handle on are players that have some track record of performance and are making them a little bit less risk averse. And we have not seen Gage necessarily put in that get, give those sort of numbers in college yet, and have really put that, those tools together in terms of a guy that you'd want to spend more of your five picks on. But maybe you're right. Maybe he just goes in the second round and he doesn't have a chance on him. But he's a name that I really like. So that's just kind of my general thought process. And again, we're, ultimately we're all kind of flying a little bit blind in terms of wow, how each team's boards are going to look because all these other te- all these teams are having to work from unique data sets this year as opposed to just, you know, being able to go to an endless supply of scouting video that they have from, you know, just this year to kind of determine who they like and, you know, do all the metrics on them. There's a little bit more feel to this draft, I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. So um, before we let everyone go, Matt, do you have any other thoughts you want to share regarding this year's draft class or what's going on with the draft? 
Uh, no, not really, other than we're going to be having plenty more draft content come out. I've already written up almost all of the infield, third base yet to come, outfield yet to come, and both left-handed and right-handed pitchers yet to come in the next, what is that, 10 days or so? Uh, so that's all still coming out there. Yep. Today, I think there were 36 shortstops that I wrote up, well, uh, I wrote up 20 of them in some way and then listed out the next uh, 16 that I thought were worth a mention. Uh, we'll be doing something similar size-wise, at least with the outfield, right-handed and left-handed pitchers. Third base will be a little shorter than that because the talent at third base is not a great class this year, but uh, it's a decent enough class, so it'll have a normal amount, just like the other write-ups, but uh, looking forward to putting that out and talking more about the draft. Yeah, we're really excited to kind of get into actually talking about some baseball rather than kind of projecting as to whether or not the season's going to happen over and over again with every little bit of news that leaks out. So we're really kind of excited to talk about something different. So make sure you're going to TalkingChop.com to get all this content that the guys are putting out, particularly Matt, regarding previewing the draft. Uh, we have some big plans regarding how we're going to cover the draft this year. And if you make sure, make sure you're following the, the website's Twitter account at TalkingChop on Twitter so that you don't miss anything. And if you make sure you subscribe to the Talking Chop feed in either iTunes or whatever your podcast purveyors are to make sure you don't miss any episodes of this podcast or the main Talking Chop podcast, which you're going to be hearing at least myself and probably Matt too talking a little bit about the the draft's results uh, in addition to the kind of the more in-depth analysis that we're going to do on this show. Uh, I do wish we could have had others, uh, the other guys on the show, whether it be Garrett, Gaurav, uh, even having some of the other guys uh, like, you know, like Aaron, Doc, and Wayne. Uh, but I did want to kind of just do, just have two people on so that we can kind of move things along and get two shows recorded in one night to make sure we can get, get everyone caught up. Don't worry, everyone's going to be coming back and we're going to be getting into the thick of things once kind of everyone's all caught back up and we're, we don't feel like we, I'm having to do too much traffic cop type stuff. Uh, in the middle of podcasts to make sure people aren't talking over each other too much. So thanks again for all the support uh, over the years, guys. We really appreciate it. We love doing the show. We miss being able to talk actual baseball with you guys, and hopefully we'll be able to do that soon. And until next time, we'll see you on the road. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.